Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Rebuke the spirit of the tiny box. Where did where did uh, where where did Bo go, man? That that was that was awesome. Thank you, man. That's that's good. That's good. So uh, you know, I have um, <laughs> with all that's been going on the last uh, last couple of weeks, I've really I've really felt led to shift gears in my sermons last week uh, with. D now and things like that. Actually, this whole month of February was a shift from what I had originally uh, planned back in November when I went off from my, my planning retreat that most of y'all know about. And so thought that we were going to be doing something in February that we ended up not doing because it felt like we needed to go in another direction and talk about finding freedom. Remember, that's what we've been doing. If you've been here for the last few weeks, that's, that's kind of where we've been focused, finding freedom from our past sins Anyway, we had, we had luggage up here. We had, you know, some suitcases and stuff like that. And how we drag that baggage of our sins in, along with us all the time. And it's just so important. And it's, and it's not just important, but there is the possibility that today that you can find that freedom from your past sins, from your secret sins, the ones you don't want anybody to know about. Uh, we didn't really talk about it last week because of denial, but uh, from the strongholds of sin. Strongholds are those sin patterns that have gotten so ingrained in our lives that, they, that, that Satan has developed a base of operations in our lives because we've led him, because we've just, we've just given into this sin over and over again, and this stronghold has gotten embedded in our lives. And sometimes, y'all, that stronghold can, can be something that's been there for generations, if something your granddaddy struggled with, and then your daddy struggled with the same sin, and now you're struggling with the same sin, and I will tell you, it can stop today with you, and you can, you can be free of that. Uh, and so I would have preached that last week, uh, if it hadn't been for D now. And, uh, and then if I wasn't going to do it, I, and then I felt like I was supposed to go in a different direction today. So if I was going to preach my last sermon in the... Uh, in the Finding Freedom series, I would have preached today. This is not the sermon uh, scripture, so you don't have to look it up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what I would have preached on today. Finding freedom from your besetting sins. Your besetting sins. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people who've gone on before us that are people of great faith, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us or the sin that so easily besets us. Let us throw off all of that sin and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so the sermon today would have been finding freedom from your besetting sins. Let me tell you what besetting sins are real quick. Besetting sins, I, I was listening to a podcast this past week, and there was a guy that had written a book about um, this, this guy a long time ago, back, like back in the 1800s, who, who did an expedition up to Antarctica, up to the North Pole, all, all up in, on, on a boat, on a ship. Of course, it would have been a wooden sailing ship back in that day. And so they, these guys would do that. So these explorers would go up there, and, 
what would happen is they would get their boats and their ships stuck in these ice flows, not icebergs, but these ice flows. It's, 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 there are levels of the ice, and, and your ship can get stuck in them, and then it, the ice just closes in around you, and your ship is stuck. And you could be there for weeks or months just stuck in the middle of this massive, can't see the end of it, uh, big massive ice flow. And you're stuck there, and the guy said that the ship was beset in ice. Well, because I knew I was going to be preaching on besetting sins, I said, well, there's my word. Let me see what he's talking about. And he said that the ship was so beset, the ship, when it gets beset in the ice, it's so beset that they're not under their own power anymore, and they're at the mercy of the drift. And that's what happens to us when we get beset in our sins that entangle us is we're not under our own power anymore and we're not under the power of the Holy Spirit anymore and we're, we're just being pulled along in the drift of our sin. And sin will always take you farther than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. And so when we get beset in our sins, that's what happens to us. It just takes us. That's why we've got to find freedom. That's why if I had the luggage up here, we've got, we got to get rid of that baggage of those besetting sins. But that's not the sermon for today. That's what the sermon would have been today. So here's the sermon for today. Based on what's been going on last week, what's been going on, Here's the sermon for today. The title of the sermon today, I'm doing things a little different today. He will finish what he started. So grab your Bibles. I normally get into the sermon a little bit before we read the scriptures. but I'm going to go ahead and read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. hope you got your Bible. Grab it, open it up, Philippians 1, 3 through 11, or get it on your phone, whatever you need to do. And let's, uh, let's stand, and, and, and I'm going to read this passage of scripture. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Paul said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I really like the way the NIV says that. I use the ESV, but I like the way the NIV says it a little bit better. It's just a little clearer, and it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. You have people like that in your life? I thank my God every time I think about you. That's what Paul's saying about these people. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now here's the verse, really pay attention. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, he's writing from prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And here he's praying again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Pray with me real quick. Father, right now, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, you're with us, you're in us, you're among us. Just teach us, just show us, just break us, just mold us, just give us courage. Help us to lose the inhibitions and just trust you and hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So how many of y'all are mountain people? 
You like going to the mountains. Raise your hand if you're a mountain person. Right, how many of y'all are beach people? How many beach? We always got two groups. You always got the mountain people and you got the beach people. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a mutt. I'm a mixture. You know, I, I'm a mixture of mount. I love going to the mountains. I love going to the beach. I love going to the mountains. Um, there's just something about them. I mean, you know, whether it's the Rockies, Colorado, out that direction, whether it's this side of the United States, the Smokies. You just, you know, there's just something about the mountains. If, you, if you've been there, I remember first time I went to, I uh, went snow skiing in Steamboat Springs, and first when that plane landed in Steamboat Springs, we came flying over those mountains, and I'm a Mississippi boy, never been uh, past Arkansas when it going west. I mean, that was it, and, and so, you know, just to see those mountains just blew me away. You know, so you go to the Rockies, and you do that, go to Mount Mitchell, North Carolina, the highest point east of the Mississippi, and the Smokies, maybe some of y'all have been over there driven up to the top of that. Um, you go snow skiing in Colorado, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times when I take my yearly uh, <coughs> sabbatical to go do my studying and praying and preaching preparation, I'll go to Ridgecrest, North Carolina, which is just outside of Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful mountains over there. They've got an overlook that I go up to, faces the east, and so you can get up there early in the morning and watch the sun come up, and it's really cool. I remember when I was a youth minister at First Baptist Church in Brookhaven in 1991, the first youth trip that we took took a, a bunch of students, and we went out to Glorietta, New Mexico. Uh, it was a, a conference center that the Southern Baptist uh, Convention owned at that time. And we took a bunch of kids out there for a centrifuge youth camp. And one morning, uh, probably 10 or 15 of us got up way, way early one morning, and we hiked up the mountain right behind where we were staying there and got up there and, and, and were able to get up to a place where uh, we were out of the woods and the trees and stuff like that, just sitting on some big rocks and on the face in the east. And I just told all the students, I, just, I said, y'all just spread out, just spread out and be quiet. Just don't say anything. And just, just sit here for a minute. And so we're all facing the east. And, and I didn't have to tell them to be quiet because they, 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 like me, they, like me, became just speechless. Because the sunrise that was unfolding in front of us was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, it literally, was, it literally took our breath away. Now, you've seen sunrise before and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just telling you, this morning was different. And we just sat there, and we didn't say a word. And the sun had not come up over the horizon yet, but the sky above us, I mean, just as far as you could see back to the west and the north and the south, it just, the, the colors were just, God was just going, y'all watch what I'm going to do this morning. Let me show y'all what I can do. And I mean purple and orange and gold and yellow and red and blue. And it just was just, it was just literally streaking across the sky. And it was just like all of a sudden, it was like God said, now! And the, the sun popped over the horizon. And you could just, you could just hear everybody in the group. Everybody just, <gasps> and we started singing. And to this day, I'm 58 years old, 2023, that was in 1991, and to this day, that is one of my top five highest, most awesome worship experiences I've ever had in my life, because I was on a mountaintop. Just blew me away. I texted a friend of mine who was, who was in the youth group at that time. He was a seventh grader at that time, and now he's a pastor of a church. I texted him this past week, said, hey, do you remember us hiking up the mountain? He said, yes, of course I do, man. I said, what words would you use to describe that? He said, awe-inspiring, profound, humbling. I mean, here we are years and years later and, and still are blown away by that mountaintop experience. Because that's what happens when you get on the mountaintop. 
Something powerful happens when you're on the mountaintop. Something moving happens when you're on the mountaintop. Something significant happens in your life when you're on the mountaintop. Something that imprints you for the rest of your life happens when you're on the mountaintop. 1991 to 2023, I'm still talking about that experience. I can't tell you how many times I've told that story right there because it still has imprinted me so deeply how I worshiped the Lord on that mountaintop that morning as I watched his beauty unfold in front of me in his hand of creation. Couldn't help myself. I had to worship God. I wasn't worshiping the rocks around me or the trees. I wasn't even worshiping the sun that was coming up. I was worshiping the creator of all the things that I was looking at that morning. And it imprinted me deeply. And that's what happens. And we don't want them to end. We don't want, it's kind of like that morning I was like, God, hey, push the sun back down and do that again, man. Just push it back. You can do that. I mean, you're God. Just push it back down and let it come back up again. I mean, you just don't want it to end. You just don't want it to end. But it does. And the, the sun eventually comes up and the sky returns to its normal, beautiful blue. But it's back to normal. The thing that we see all the time. And, and so you... You hike back down the mountain, you ski back down the slope, or you drive back down the mountain, and you're just, you, that's what happens. You just don't want it to end, but it does. But it ends for a purpose. It happened to Peter, James, and John. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, chose those three out of the twelve, said, y'all come on and go with me. we got a walk to take. Walked up on top of a mountain, Hanging out with Jesus on a mountaintop was enough. I mean, come on. But he got up on, they got up on top of the mountain. It's like, what are we doing, Jesus? And all of a sudden, the cloud comes down. Moses and Elijah show up. Jesus is hanging out with Moses and Elijah. This huge, beautiful cloud envelops him. Jesus' face starts shining. And it's like, Peter's like, Jesus, I got a good idea right now. I got a good idea right now. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's okay with you, can we just build some tents right now? That's what he said. If you want us to, we'll just build some tents. What was he saying? That way we can just stay here. This is so good, Jesus. We just want to stay here. Can we just stay here right now? And then he heard the voice of God saying, this is my son. Do what he tells you to do. And then Moses and Elijah were gone. The cloud's gone. And Jesus said, let's go. Why? Because he had something for Peter and James and John to do that was going to shake the world. Think about Peter. After the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Jesus, when he left, ascended back to the heaven, back to the Father, where he's at the right hand of the throne of God right now, interceding for you and me. Before he left here, he told, he said, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to do greater things than I did. Listen to me, church, did you hear me? Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did. And you're going, no, wait, 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 wait. Jesus fed 5,000 people. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed people. What's he mean by that? He means that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then I'm just one person in one place right now, but when the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you, you're going to go around the world and do greater things than I could do because I'm just one person right now. And so what happened at the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came and who was the first person who stepped forward and started proclaiming the name of Jesus and preaching the gospel? Peter. Where had Peter been? He had been on the mountaintop with Jesus. The apostle John, exiled to the island of Patmos. But what did he do while he was out there? Somebody tell me. He wrote the book of Revelation. 
Where had he been? He had been on the mountaintop with Jesus. What if he had stayed on the mountaintop? What if Peter just said, Jesus, look, no, I ain't going. I'm staying right here. James. On the mountaintop of Jesus, and then wrote the book of James that we just preached through, that we love so much and teaches us so much about how to live the Christian life. But he had been on the mountaintop of Jesus. The point is, when your life is changed forever on the mountaintop, something special happens there. Jesus reveals himself to you on that mountaintop. And, and, and there's a lot of people in our world, in our nation, in this church right now that are on a mountaintop. I'm on one. I'm in that group. I'm on a mountaintop right now. You don't baptize, listen to me, you don't baptize almost 70 people since January the 1st and not get on a mountaintop. We baptized, we baptized eight more this morning, by the way, at 8.30, in case y'all didn't know that. Got two or three more coming, at least two or three more coming next Sunday as well. That's not, I'm just not, that ain't, I'm not talking, I ain't, I'm not putting, Puffing myself, I'm just telling you, man, dude, when, you, when that's happening, when God's moving, you're on a mountaintop. I mean, Asbury Revival, if you've been under a rock somewhere, you don't know what I'm talking about, but the rest of us know what's been happening in the nation for the last two and a half, three weeks because of Asbury. And then it showed up in our, in our own state here, Blue Mountain uh, College last week. Mississippi State, a couple of days ago, had hundreds of students standing in front of Lee Hall, praising God right there on the campus of Mississippi State University. Texas A&M had a thousand people out in the, standing out in the middle of nowhere on the campus this past week, baptizing people in a fountain on the campus of Texas A&M yesterday, a couple of days ago. Now there are naysayers everywhere, probably some naysayers in this bunch. Well, we'll just see. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And I'll tell you what's happening. I'm telling you what's going on here. You go up on this mountaintop and Jesus gives us these mountaintops. Not all the time. So listen to me, students especially, but the rest of us that are right on this mountaintop, don't expect this to last. Now I'm not going, well, John, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. You're on the mountaintop because Jesus has something for you to do. He's got work for you to do and you can't get your work done when you're up on the mountaintop. Everybody that's been on the mountaintop had to come down. Let me tell you what goes on here. God never sends these revivals as an end in themselves. He sends these revivals like we're experiencing in our nation, in our church, and in our lives. He sends these revivals in order to stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit who is within us. That's why He does it. Because let me tell you something, my friend. If you're a Christ follower, if you name the name of Jesus, if you know that you know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus Christ, then right now inside of you is the fire of the Holy Spirit. Well, where do you get that from, John? The Bible. John the Baptist, John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3.11. He said, hey, I'm baptizing you, but there's one who's coming after me who's greater than I am, and he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came, came upon those guys, a great wind was blowing, and then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire land on each one of them. They began speaking in other languages, not in unknown tongues, the reason they spoke in other languages was because Jesus had work for them to do. They needed to get out there because there was a lot of people standing out there that spoke other languages. 
So the Holy Spirit came and gave, him, gave somebody the ability to speak this language, so there was somebody out there that needed to hear the gospel in their language. He gave this guy the, the ability to speak this language because somebody else that needed to hear the gospel in their language. The fire of the Holy Spirit. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit fire comes into our hearts and lives, and we have to fan that flame. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. What do you do with a fire when you're trying to put it out? You quench it. So Paul wouldn't have said don't quench the Holy Spirit if he wasn't talking about there being a fire associated with the Holy Spirit that you and I can quench when we keep hanging on to those past sins, secret sins, strongholds of sins, and besetting sins. Now you know why I've been preaching on those things? Because I long to see the fire of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst all the time. What a, Old Testament, Old Testament. God led His people out of captivity with a pillar of fire by night. Moses heard God speaking to him, where? From a burning bush, from the fire. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 says, God is like a refining fire. So fire is something that we need to get used to because each one of us have the fire of the Holy Spirit within us. It's there, but we can dampen that fire. We can dampen that fire. We can quench the Spirit. We can cool that fire down very much. The Spirit is still there within us because He never leaves us, but we can put that fire out. So not only do our decisions to sin cause the fire to cool off, but our distance from God will cool that fire down. That our distance from God, that's what happens when we hang on to those sins. We move away from God. God doesn't move, we move. And we move away from God. And we stop praying, we stop getting in the Word. We don't want to come to church anymore. We don't want to hang out with God's people. We certainly don't want to serve God. We don't want to tell anybody. So our fire cools down. It's like you're hanging out with your buddies sitting around a campfire, sitting around the fire pit. You sit around the campfire there. You got a good fire going. You're sitting there talking, having a good time, hanging out. All of a sudden the fire, the, the wood pile will kind of shift like it will do as, it, as it's burning. And it'll shift. And all of a sudden one of those logs that was sitting over here just kind of rolls off to the side. And you might pick up a stick or the poker or your boot or something and kick it back into the fire. But if you don't, you just let that, fire, that log sit there. You can go over there and keep your hands warm for a few minutes. But the longer it stays away from the bulk of the fire, the cooler that thing becomes. And pretty soon it's going to go out and the only thing you'll see is maybe a tiny, tiny little ember still glowing in there. But because it's left the fire, it cools off. That's what we do when we sin. We just move away from God and we cool off. But then something happens. And what happens is, is God's people grow weary of their sin. They grow weary of the chill in their relationship with Jesus. They grow weary in the staleness of their worship, the emptiness of their prayer life, the monotony of their time in the Word. They grow weary of just marking time in their walk with Christ. Deep down inside, they know something's not right. They know there's something more to the Christian life than what they're experiencing. They know that they're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised to give to us. And they begin to cry out to the Lord in honest, gut-wrenching, brokenness and repentance and God hears and God shows up and God restores and God revives. That's what He does. 
And just like Paul promises in Philippians chapter 1, what God starts, he's going to finish. Is the application of the message that I'm just now getting to, <laughs> is that we can trust the Lord to keep on working in our lives until Jesus comes back. God's going to, what's he started? He's going to keep on, he's going to finish, well, what's he started? Well, I hope he has started salvation in your life. If he hasn't, then listen to me, he can start that today, amen? In your life, he can start that today. You can cry out to Jesus today. So he starts salvation. He starts our eternal life. Your eternal life does not start when you die. Your eternal life starts the moment that you give your life to Christ. He starts your maturing process. I was talking with a friend of mine this week. It's the sanctification process of God maturing you, making you more and more like Jesus. But God's going to keep on doing that. And as God keeps on doing some stuff, there's, doing that, there's some things we've got to keep on doing. Let me give it to him quickly. Number one, we've got to keep on being thankful. That's what Paul's talking about, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. So we've got to keep on being thankful for the church. We got to keep, the church is imperfect. The church is, the church is made up of sinful people that are going to do dumb things sometimes. But we've got to be thankful for the church. We've got to be thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul looked at the people in, in Philippi. He loved them. He said, man, I thank my God when I think about you. I see God working in your life. Man, I'm so thankful for what I see going on in your life. Man, when I think about what happened here last weekend with the students in our D now and the adults who were a part of that and our whole, whole church, I'm just so thankful for what God has done in the life of this church. I'm thankful for the church as I see God moving and working. Because what happens is when he works in somebody else's life, he can use the work in their life to start a work in your life. Because you see what God's doing there and something in you starts growing. That's why every time I baptize somebody, this morning, finished up the baptism service, and I, so I asked the, the crowd where we had to move in tons of chairs this morning because we were wall to wall at 8.30. And ask the crowd, I, if you have never given your life to Christ, these folks just set the example for you. If you need to be baptized, these people just set the example for you. And I guarantee you there was somebody sitting at 830 that sitting out there going, you know what, it's time for me to get baptized. There's somebody sitting here today who thinks that same thing. It's time. It's, I'm, I, it's time for me to quit messing around. It's time for me to get baptized. All these folks getting baptized, it's just time for me to do it too. So man, be thankful. Keep on being thankful. Be thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, be thankful. You see God working in their lives. Be thankful. Don't let Satan lead you astray and cause you to fight against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be thankful for them. Don't cause, let him cause you to resent your brothers and sisters in Christ. Rejoice with them. Don't let him cause you to look at them with suspicion. Look at them in love. Be thankful. Keep on being thankful. Number two, keep on being confident. Paul said there, and I am confident of this, I am sure of this, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to finish it. Be faithful. To, confident in who? Confident in myself? Absolutely not. Confident in my abilities? No way. Confidence, confidence in some preacher that I love to listen to? No. Confidence in God. That's what Paul said, that he who, I am confident of this, that he, God, who began the good work is going to finish it. Our confidence is in Him and in His work. I'm reading the book of Job right now in my personal quiet time. And you know the story of Job. He lost everything. Just 
horrendous loss and difficulty and heartache and confusion. Man, he's like, God, what is going on here? I love you and I live for you and I'm trying to serve you and why is all this happening in my life? Any of y'all felt that way? And in the midst of just his guts being ripped out because of everything that was going on in his life, in the middle of that, Job was able to say, but this is what I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. And, at, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Everything, my, everything around me is going crazy, but I know that. And I'm confident of that. That my Redeemer lives. And your Redeemer's name is Jesus. And he does live. And you can keep being confident in him. Not confidence, not being confident in our circumstances, because guess what? Our circumstances are going to change. Not confident, our confidence is not in other people because they're going to let you down at some point. Our confidence is not in our experiences, as wonderful as they are, because they're going to happen in different places and at different times. Not confidence is not in our abilities because we are weak and we are needy, but our confidence is in the Lord who never changes, who will never let us down, who is strong, and who will never stop working in our lives. That's where our confidence is. So keep on being confident. And keep on yearning for others. Paul said that in verse 8. He said, for this is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn, that means to have a deep desire, a passionate desire, a, a longing to see something happen in somebody's life. We need to just yearn for one another. How many, you know, how many of y'all want to see revival keep going? Raise your hand, you want to keep revival? I mean, yeah. All right, so let me tell you how it's going to happen. It's going to happen... Well, well, that means we've got to stay in church a lot longer than we know. Well, maybe. I don't know. Well, that means we've got to have these all-night prayer meetings and we've got to do, Well, that could happen at some point. Well, that means we need, to, Matt, we need to sing a whole lot more. Well, okay. I like hearing Matt sing, so we can do that. I love doing it. That's good. You want revival to keep going? Let me tell you how it's going to keep going. When you and I start yearning to see lost people come to know Jesus. When you and I, Revival, we keep those baptismal waters stirring. If we have a, uh, an astronomical water bill this year because we have to keep filling the baptistry up, I'm telling you that we will have a yearning for God to work in people's lives in this community. People that you go to school with, people that live in the same home as you, people that you work with, people that are sitting in this room right now with you. A yearning to see people come to know Jesus. And then, uh, and then, and then a yearning to disciple those who already know Jesus. Let me tell you something. Listen up, church. Listen up, church. I hit on this a little bit last week, but let me hammer it home again. We had 53 students that went through the baptismal waters last weekend. One more this morning. More this morning. Two more students, but more people. But let's just take the students right now. So we're talking about close to 60 students now that have just in the last week have made a fresh commitment of their walk with Christ. Some of them for the first time making a fresh commitment, a one-time, first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Got saved, ready, got baptized, ready to serve the Lord. And then others that have rededicated their lives realized that they had gotten saved since they got all that kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you, we got about 60 students right now that need for some adults that know Jesus and love Jesus to come alongside them and say, hey, let me help you walk in your walk with the Lord now. You want revival to keep going? 
Well, then every Christ follower should, be, have, should have at least one person in their life that they are discipling. You're just a little further along than them, so you're walking there a little bit in front of them to help them follow Jesus. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, we can help you with that. Ryan, you got that book? Let me, let me, can I have that real quick? Thank you, brother. I'll give it right back to you. I just gave this to Ryan Winters. He and I are going to be doing some discipleships. There it is right there. You need to disciple somebody? See Mark Sandifer, see Michael Nanny, get this thing and start discipling somebody. There. What else do you need to know? That's it. That's where you start. That's where you start. As your church, the Word of God says it's my job to equip you to do the work of ministry. There. Go do it. Go do it. Well, I don't... That's all it is? <laughs> yeah. And there's students that need somebody. Because if not, I'm telling you right, uh, right now, Satan is already, I guarantee you, if we talk to some of these students, they tell you that Satan has already started hammering on them. Satan started, already started working on them. Keep yearning. Keep on yearning. Keep on yearning. Yearning for others. And the last point is this. Let me finish this up. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Y'all know I talk about it all the time. Tosh was up here talking about it. Refresh. It's so important that we pray. I told the refresh crowd Wednesday night. We had a great group, an awesome group Wednesday night. I told them every year I put together a, a reading list of books that I want to read this year, 2023. And it's a long list. I never read all the books that are on the list, but I just go to my personal library because I've got so many books in my library that I've bought through. Oh, man, that looks good. That looks good. And I don't ever read them. So, I, so I'm... But this year I decided that every book that I'm going to read this year is going to be a book on prayer. One, th I'm on one subject. I'm going to stay focused, zeroed in, laser focused on one subject, and the subject is prayer. Why? Because I want to know how to pray better. And I want to lead you better as your pastor to lead you better. On being a better praying church, to have these times where we pray and where we do it. And I've already read five of those books already. I'm in my sixth book already on prayer. And God helped me to be a better prayer warrior. Because we got to keep on praying. That's what Paul prayed. He prayed for their love. He prayed for their purity. And he prayed for the fruit of righteousness to be seen in their lives. And we got to keep on praying and crying out to God. Because when we come off the mountaintop, we got to have God. We do have. Holy Spirit with us to continue walking with us. We've got to keep crying out to Him. Keep walking with Him. Keep on praying. And keep on praying for others too. So, invitation this morning. Invitation is for, uh, for those this morning. First of all, obviously, always. Never want to preach a sermon. Try not to ever preach a sermon without giving somebody the opportunity to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you need to come to Jesus, come to Jesus today. Man, come to Christ today and be saved. I mean, just like Keaton did, Keaton Bates did with me, the first young man who got saved last, walked up to me and said this, I need to be saved. That's all you got to say. There ain't, no, ain't no magic formula, ain't no secret handshake or anything. You walk up and say, I need to be saved. And, and that we, we start. And then others of you, I, I, would, I would venture to say, that there are folks in this room that if you had to be real honest, if we could open up your heart and look into the fire of your soul, we wouldn't find much there. We would see a little burning 
Maybe a little ember down at the bottom that's still smoldering. We wouldn't see much there. That, listen, listen, y'all, that's not a judgmental thing to say. That's not a condemnatory kind of thing that I'm saying. I'm just saying, man, I long for you and for me to have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning brightly in our hearts and lives. And y'all, this world needs to see that. I'm going to Columbia, Mississippi in the morning to speak to a pastor's conference. And the subject that we're going to be talking with, probably be 20 or 30 pastors there tomorrow, maybe more. And the subject we're going to talk about is how has culture impacted the church? How has our culture impacted the church? Well, one of the reasons why I do believe the culture has impacted the church is because the church has grown cold in its zeal for the gospel and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so when we do that, we let the culture creep in. We can't do that. So maybe there's some of you need to get up here and get on your face before the Lord, get on your knees before the Lord and cry out that that Holy Spirit fire would burn brightly in your lives again, that you need to confess some sin, repent of your sin, go get right with somebody in this room that you're at odds with, go make a phone call, get up right now, go outside, get your phone and go call somebody that you know you need to get things right with, do something that you know that God is calling you to do as the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and life and will let that fire begin to grow and burn brightly again. And then as that fire grows, man, it grows in you and it grows in me. And the Holy Spirit continues to move. You know, the Holy Spirit is a wind, too. I heard Tony Evans talking about this recently, but the Holy Spirit is a wind. A wind came into that room in Acts chapter 2. Well, what happens when you got fire and wind together? Where's the fire go? Everywhere. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare for those of us that are firefighters when we go fight brush fires on a windy day. But that's what we want in the church. We want it to go everywhere. So let's go. Let's let the Holy Spirit start burning brightly in our lives again. Pray with me. So Father, help us today, Lord, in this invitation time, God, to know what we need to do and then to do it, Lord. Somebody that needs to be saved will be saved today. Somebody that needs to repent of their sin and get the fire of the Holy Spirit burning brightly again, that, that'll happen. Somebody that needs to join this church, Lord, that will happen. God, you just move. Holy Spirit, you just move. And we'll follow you. We'll be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.